Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Scott Eubanks. Now, Scott is a grifter from season two. That's right. He wrote the 11th episode of a grifter song, Still Life with Suitcase, and he uh, has a few other projects to talk about as well. So we're going to have a conversation with him right after I remind you that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. So if you dig that sort of thing, you can find out more at downandoutbooks.com. That's down and out books, all spelled out, dot com, down and out books. Take the journey with us. And without any further ado, let's talk to Scott Eubanks. Well, hey, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Frank, thanks for having me. Well, better late than never. Um, I intended to have you originally back when your novella in a grifter song came out. And uh, things just kind of got lost in the scheduling shuffle on my end. So I'm glad I finally got you on. Yeah, no worries. So this is this is wonderful opportunity and great timing. Well, one interesting tie-in is that uh, the third season of A Grifter Song is is coming out here uh, in January, and but you were part of season two. In fact, you had the penultimate uh, episode of that season in a novella called Still Life with Suitcase. That's one of the more literary titles in the series, I will say. Uh, maybe you could tell people a little bit about what that uh, novella is about. Sure. Uh, it's, you know, when we, when you talked to me about kind of the parameters that we could write about and I read Concrete Smile and I started thinking about it, I thought, oh, it'd be really fun to have an art heist and, you know, uh, a total bait and switch based on uh, the violin trick, which is, you know, uh, from, you know, er the early 20th century. And uh, you go in, you know, someone goes into a restaurant with a violin in a case and, and then they order you know, the most expensive thing on the menu, a couple glasses of wine, and then they pat their pockets and go, oh, no, I left my checkbook or, you know, my money at home. Please take this violin as as collateral. I'll be right back to pay for my meal. And then when the first con artist leaves, the other con artist who is sitting at an adjacent table goes, do you know that that violin is a Stradivarius? It's worth, you know, it's worth a million dollars. You know, I'll buy it off you right now for $10,000. And you know, they go back and forth and basically the maitre d' is, or whoever is managing the restaurant comes up with the idea of buying the violin themselves from the first con artist who returns to the restaurant to pay for their meal and is offered, you know, $600 for, you know, this, this violin. And I wanted to do that on a much larger scale with, with art and kind of bait and switch the reader a little bit without, you know, while still playing fair. Well, um, that con, it, it is an old con. It's as, you know, it's a, as old as three card Monty, but I actually hadn't heard of it uh, until not long before you and I discussed it because it was in the, uh, it was in the book by Neil Gaiman. Now, for some reason it's, uh, it's escaping me, but they did that con. Mr. Wednesday did that con. Oh, it's American gods. Ah, that's it. American gods. Yeah. But Mr. Wednesday, who, I won't say who he really is for the spoiler yeah. quality of it. He and uh, our main character uh, c 
pull that con, but the main character really doesn't quite know what's going on, if I remember right. But anyway, it's a really cool con, and you propose doing it on a uh, higher level with a, a more of a, a, an artistic bent to it, and you based it a little bit on true history. Yeah, uh, there was a, a art heist in Montreal uh, where it was a Monet that was stolen. Uh, the cottages was stolen and it's never been recovered. And it was like, it was 1973 that this happened and it's considered one of the biggest art heists in uh, world history. Yeah. So it is based on, on uh, an actual art heist. And I figured it'd be fun if they, Sam and Rachel had uh, a fake maid uh, to put in play with, uh, you know, essentially uh, one of the people who it's based on the real family, the, uh, uh, the Sanford family that runs, uh, that created Oxycontin. And uh, I really wanted to kind of real heroes there. Yeah, I really wanted to rip. I wanted to rip them off because if you're going to rip someone off in a story, you might as well make them terrible, you know. And you know, and of course, their new money in West Palm Beach, which also kind of has, you know, West Palm Beach has its own baggage now. But I just thought it'd be a lot of fun to play with, especially uh, the environment. Yeah, you really capture the 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 setting and then the that new rich uh, sort of scramble to try to buy respectability. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sam and Rachel poses a, a, a couple of different characters uh, to to try to infiltrate that. Uh, you also have a, uh, a one of the best uh, crocodile scenes. Uh, that I've ever read. I won't spoil it for anybody, but uh, you know it's bad when you're you're reading it in an editorial mode and your palms are sweating. Like, oh my, this is you know. I mean, I'm not afraid of crocodiles any more than anybody else. You know, I mean, but they they were creepy, man. You did a really good job. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, people who may not be familiar with you, and and you you can't blame them necessarily because you're you're relatively new to the mystery scene, but you have been writing for a while, right? Yeah, uh, I think um, I used to buy uh, typewriters when I was a kid from a Swap Meet. There was an old drive-in theater in my hometown, and you could buy old, you know, Underwood typewriters for ten dollars. And I would save up my allowance, and I think I owned like four of them. And after a certain point, I thought, you know, I need to start writing on this. I'm going to write a novel. And I was eight years old, and it was nonsense. And I didn't even understand that you you're supposed to have margins, so I would type right to the end of the page. Yeah, pretty much since then. Um, <laughs> well, you, you got a little formal training along the way, though. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I did some other things for a while, and then uh, when I went back to school, I I majored in English, which was the only thing I was ever any good at. And my parents kept saying, "Like, what are you, what are you going to do with that?" And I'm like, "I have no idea." And then I was very easily talked into applying for the the MFA program at Eastern Washington University, and I applied for fiction, and I didn't get in, and they basically said, hey, you know, if, if you want to do nonfiction, we'll take you. And so I did. And I learned a ton. And I'm still thinking about what I learned there, especially about lines. Like, I mean, I think it taught me more about lines and how to how to read differently. And uh, yeah, and then I tried to write. Uh, after I got out of that, I wrote a, a terrible, gigantic fantasy novel that makes absolutely no sense. And then I wrote a literary novel that I thought would really impress uh, the literati in, in Spokane, and it's also not very good. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to write something I like to read. And so I wrote a mystery novel that's that's also a thriller. And before I, before I did that, I actually went and bought like 10 used books of the most exciting novels ever written, like Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, 
uh, uh, what's his name? He wrote Lightning. He wrote uh, Dean Koontz. Dean Koontz. Like all these thriller writers. And I just, um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And I tried to really take an MFA approach to it of, you know, how are they, how are they prepackaging tension and how are they ramping it up and maintaining it? And I kind of studied that for like a year on my own and then, and then wrote the book I wrote, which is supposed to be a lot more exciting, but I've now been editing it for two years. So we'll see. <laughs> well, you, you say you've been editing it, but uh, you know, I have a little inside information from our, uh, from our other conversations and you're editing it because of positive feedback from people you sent it to agents and editors. So uh, let's be clear on that part. You're right. You're right. I, tend to leave i tend to bury the lead sorry um <laughs> and you're the nonfiction guy come on <laughs> i know well I, I you know as soon as i got out of school i stopped writing nonfiction because nonfiction is very difficult to write and especially for, at least for me i you know just interrogating the truth i have i have nine brothers and sisters so nine um, yeah yeah my parents adopted a bunch of kids and anyway um yeah no uh the the last book the good sister that i've been working on um it's now on its third revision from uh, uh, the Gernert Agency, which is uh, they represent like Stuart O'Nan, who I love. Have you read him? No, I have not. Oh my gosh, he! It's one of the most devastating books I've ever read. Uh, A Prayer for the Dying. Okay. It's um, uh, Stuart O'Nan, and then uh, John Gresham is their their major client. So. Wow, that's good company. Yeah, so whenever I mention anything legal in the book, I get super worried. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds pretty hopeful, and it's it's not the only one that you're working on. You mentioned that you are actually working on a uh, crime crime fiction book set in Spokane uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, I you know every time I, I make some forward progress on it, I get another set of revisions back for, on the last one. So um, yeah, it's called I'm it's the working titles look the other way, and it's a. Uh, it's about a, a, a retired Spokane police detective who's running for city council. I think it's Karen Stratton's seat. And yeah, it's just uh, his son, his estranged son, who's a heroin addict, turns out uh, dragged to death in the, the rail yards out in the valley. And, uh, you know, he's no longer he's no longer a cop, so he can't really pursue it. But, you know, lots of unfinished business. So That sounds like it could have a lot of tension to it. it is this set in current time or is it a little bit historical or it's set just a couple years ago i mm -hmm. you know i think like 2016 or 15 so you know before i let you go there was one other connection i wanted to touch on um that you you and i have uh, talked about offline as well and that is one of your hobbies is uh dungeons and dragons it sure is <laughs> I, uh yeah i just got back into it um about two years ago. So um, I played all the time when I was young. I mean, second edition and first edition too. Um, wow, old school. Yeah. yeah um, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day. And yeah, we had like three different groups of people who we could kind of flow between. Like, oh, you know what? I want to play Rifts now. And we'd go play Rifts and then we'd go play Shadowrun. And so, you know, I grew up role-playing a lot. Um, I remember seventh grade, you know, I had a, a Red Dragon t-shirt. And my little brother was just like, wouldn't walk next to me to school because like, you're going to get beat up. And I'm like, I don't care. And, you know, even when we were like 20, like I would, I lived with my brother and uh, uh, I still kept a lot of the old books and he'd be like, you know, put those away. We have girls coming over. 
you know, don't, <laughs> don't let him find these. You know? But you played in a band too. So like, I mean, yeah, yeah. then you had karmic balance there, right? Between cool yeah. and nerd. And, and now nerd is cool. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the band I was, it was pretty, pretty nerdy too. <laughs> <laughs> People might not be aware of uh, how much when you're the dungeon master, when you're running the game, uh, yeah, sure. There's some refereeing that's going on there, but there's also a lot of storytelling. I mean, it, and, and that's kind of why I brought it up is that, you know, for a writer to DM is kind of a natural role. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I think when I was a kid, I'd be like, okay, you start in a tavern and all the players would go, oh, again. And I'd be like, you know what? Never mind. You're chained to the wall of a slave ship in an icy ocean. And they go, oh, God. You know, and I think, uh, the actor Joe Manganiello was saying that you're basically like a showrunner, oh, yeah, and that's that a makes a way to look at it. I know it makes a lot of sense because, like, even if you're playing like a prepackaged game, you're still kind of making these decisions on how to seed information early, um, what things to include or exclude, and you know, it's all based on on the feedback from from your players, mm-hmm. and it's one of the few times you actually get to face your readers. <laughs> you know, well, like well put, in, yeah in the process of just going, Oh, is this, is this going nowhere? And I mean, my friends at least will go like, yeah, we don't care about that. I'm like, all right. All right. You know, it's hours of planning, just get thrown out the window in 10 minutes. And it's just sounds like writing to me. <laughs> yeah. That's, are you, a, are you, a, do you plan when you write, do you come up with an outline? Uh, I didn't used to, I used to come up with a what if and roll with it. But uh, in recent years with all the collaborations that I've done, you just can't do do that way, do it that way and be successful. That process of, I would say bullet point outlining would be a good way to put it has seeped into my solo work as well. And I think for the better, uh, the danger is always, if I know the whole story, am I interested enough now to to write it, you know, cause I know what's going to happen. And it, the answer used to be no, yeah. uh, but it's become yes recently in the last couple yeah. of years. And so now I, I do take some, some decent notes and, and outline a bit and, uh, and you know, the grifter song experience, uh, has made that, uh, more pressing as well, because I had to keep a Bible and, and rein in people going, you know, outside the foul lines, not, not intentionally, yeah. but, you know, uh, and, and coordinate, you know, dropping elements of episode seven into episode nine and things like that. Um, which is a really good segue back to still life with suitcase, because you did something really interesting in that the entire story has what you intended as a bit of a MacGuffin in it that ends up being the, the launch point for the final episode in season two, uh, that I wrote and you gave me a great, you know, football to run with. And so, uh, in a way it was, you know, kind of a a coordinated effort. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and I'd always wanted to use a MacGuffin. I mean, ever since I, you know, seen those Alfred Hitchcock movies and it was just like, Oh my gosh, it'd be so amazing to do this in a story. And yeah, a grifter song gave me a chance to really do some things I'd always wanted to do. Well, I mean, you know, and they couldn't end up, you know, millionaires. So. Right. um, Right. Yeah, they don't always win and they don't ever win big or the series is over. So, (laughs) (laughs) or at least has to take a time jump. Uh, Well, Scott, I'm glad I was able to get you on the show finally. It's, uh, like I said, long overdue. It's always a pleasure to to talk with you. And I hope people uh, go back and pick up Still Life with Suitcase because uh, it's a very well-written tale, has a little bit of a literary bent to it, and uh, definitely a unique voice. 
Thank you, Frank. I'm trying to get the literariness out of the prose, but you know, we'll see. All right. All right. <laughs> Keep a little bit in. I think that's your style. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. And I, it was such a cool and fun opportunity and just the easiest editing I've ever had to do. Well, there you are, folks. Scott Eubanks, uh, grifter song author, and uh, a couple of cool pieces of crime fiction coming out. I hope you check those out when they're available. And definitely check out Still Life with Suitcase. Like I said, there's a literary bent to it. It's very well written, and uh, it sets up episode 12 really well, in addition to just having a great mystery. Uh, next episode is a special episode. We are going to celebrate the fact that the Wrong Place or Right Crime is now over 100 episodes. We're going to do that by sharing a few behind-the-scenes tidbits. Uh, some former guests are, are coming on with a message, uh, some messages about what they're up to and, and so forth. But, of course, the main thrust of the podcast is always interviewing uh, crime fiction authors and the like. And so we will have an open and shut style episode within the hundredth episode celebration. And that will feature Alan Orloff. So that is next week on wrong place or right crime. I want to say thanks to Scott for coming on the show down out books for sponsoring the show. Uh, and you, the listener for coming into 2021 and uh, staying on this ride. Uh, it is a dark ride. Keep your hands inside the car at all times. Uh, management is not responsible for any injuries uh, that you may <laughs> incur. Uh, like I said, thanks for coming along for the ride. Thanks for staying uh, with us. A quick Zafiro update for you. Uh, really just want to remind you that, of course, a Grifter song is now available for individual purchases or the season purchase, which is really the best way to go. I talked about that in uh, last week's episode, but uh, if you subscribe, you do get a bonus episode that nobody else gets, uh, as well as a price break, and you get your episodes earlier than they're released to the general public. Uh, so uh, you can do a digital subscription or digital and paperback and get all of the stories collected together in two uh, editions at the end of the season. Good deal, and uh, your paperback editions will include the bonus subscriber-only story, uh, and only a certain number of those are being made. Uh, the other piece of news is, uh, of course, in a couple of weeks, Sugar Got Low, my short story collection, will be available. Uh, you can pre-order that now if you like, or pick it up after it comes out, or, you know, ignore it entirely like most of the world. It's up to you. <laughs> All right, uh, that's it for the update. Uh, next week, Alan Orloff and our 100th episode celebration. Uh, until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.